a lot of the foundation of what carnival is is shrinking as it grows i feel it's getting stifled by big money brands big media corporations who are basically profiteering off of what people just call they say oh it's the largest street party yes it's the largest street party but most people don't have the context at all Hey and welcome to Shade and the season finale with me, Lou Mensa, holding the space for conversations at the intersection of arts and activism. Thank you all so much for your feedback on the conversations this season and for keeping in touch via social media where we keep the chat going. And thank you so much to the Shade Patreons for supporting the work. It really means a lot. Now, you may notice that some ads are going to appear in the show, which I hope aren't too distracting. But, you know, we've got to work out how to keep this thing running. And the few quid that comes in through the ads and through your generous donations through Patreon means that I can get a little help with editing the show from time to time. Please support the show by visiting patreon.com forward slash shade podcast, where you can contribute as little as one pound a month, which goes towards the basic running costs. If you enjoy the work, please leave a review, subscribe and share with your mates. I know that us independent podcasters bang on about this all the time, but it really does help the show become more visible. So thank you to those who have done that so far. Right, enough about all that. Now for today's conversation with Fiona Compton. Fiona Compton was born in St Lucia and she moved to London when she was 18. She's an historian, she's a carnival ambassador and founder of Know Your Caribbean, which shares educational posts teaching the history and culture of the Caribbean. Fiona's work explores the disparities in representation of the Afro-Caribbean diaspora within art and the mainstream media. And she also runs creative workshops for young people in venues such as the South Bank Centre in London and the Black Cultural Archives. We talked about the roots and evolution of carnival from the 17th century to the present day, including how carnival is a form of protest, how carnival influenced the British music scene and the key traditions that you may be aware of but don't know their meaning. We also talk about this year's virtual carnival weekend. I'll be back in season four in January. Keep in touch. I love you all. Enjoy the episode. So to begin, here's Fiona explaining how her passion for Caribbean history began. I'm originally from St. Lucia and I moved to the UK 20 years ago. So I've been, I, I moved here when I was 18 and I came bushy-tailed and fresh-faced or whatever it is, like really hopeful and I studied uh, photography at uh, London College of Printing, which is now London College of Communication. It was a very disappointing experience for me because it was really difficult for me to find representation of, of the Caribbean. And I felt like even within um, some of the, like the Black British photographers that they brought up during the course, it still didn't really speak about my story. I didn't find it relatable. Especially because a lot of things are very Jamaican-focused. If you're going to speak about the Caribbean, it put us under this one umbrella, which is obviously untrue. And I just felt very frustrated. So when I left that degree, I'm like, I'm going to focus on doing things for my people. So what about people from Monstrat? What about people from St. Vincent? People of 
Asian heritage from Guyana. They have very little voice in what goes on within the Caribbean narrative. Chinese Jamaicans, people from Guadeloupe, and you know, the Francophone Caribbean and so on. These people have very much not in our stories, the Dutch Caribbean, all of that. It really, really frustrated me because it was common knowledge to me growing up at home. And I came here like, yay, hey everyone, big family. And it wasn't, it didn't feel that way. I felt in many ways oppressed by the narratives that were being put forward about my own people. So that became one of my, my focuses when I graduated and was practicing as a photographer. So a lot of my work is surrounding telling our stories and so on. But I mean, in, in terms of like my childhood and stuff, I was very much influenced by my parents. My mom was part of like the archeological society and what really started, the thing was that she started to um, buy old postcards on eBay. If you love to see like old images, eBay is a great place to find like images from Jamaica from the 1800s or, you know, like portraits of like Indo-Trinidadians who are the indentured laborers, beautiful portraits. And I was like, wow, it really, it was just so captivating and seeing like my people from like over a hundred years ago and just how beautiful they were. And I was like, wow, what is the story behind these people? Like sometimes you see something and say, Guyanese coolie or something and I'm like okay wow what's you know what's this oh they had indentured laborers how many went oh they came from this part of India oh they're the ones like you know like for example it is the indentured laborers from India who brought marijuana to the Caribbean you know people do not associate these things I think these things are amazing people only associate it with Rastafarianism and Jamaica and stuff like that right and I just feel that we are such a beautiful melting pot so that's how Know Your Caribbean started. It started me posting old pictures and then someone's like, oh, it'd be great if you added some facts underneath it. I'm like, you're right. Uh, and some context. And then that's how it started. So it's just, even though I came here and I felt frustrated, there's still so much I did not get taught at school. You know, we still kind of have that uh, colonial mindset in our teaching. There's so much that we need to know about ourselves and reconnect ourselves to that. And that's the intention of Know Your Caribbean. And I want it to be specifically for the Caribbean. A lot of people have said, oh, African history, could you add this? And I said, listen, African history will be incorporated into the platform, but I want to make it specifically Caribbean. So I'm going to be speaking about the Chinese Cubans. I'm going to be speaking about the Syrian Grenadians. I'm going to be speaking about the German Jamaicans. I think the Caribbean has suffered from having a very reductive outlook or represented in a very reductive way. And I know that when we talk about carnival particularly, that you are really passionate about sharing the cultural historical references of carnival all based on the history that you've brought together over the years with the work that you're doing. And both of us know that Carnival is so much more than big sound systems. It's more than that. I'd like to hear a little bit about the origins of Carnival as a form of celebration, but also in particular the birthplace of the original Caribbean-based carnivals. So even though we've got Notting Hill over here, I, just a little bit of history about how Carnival started from your perspective. 
Carnival is like my child. I'm a mother of one. Carnival is like my unofficial daughter. I'm very protective of her. I think I knew Carnival was an, a spiritual experience even before reading up or coming to understand its history because if you grew up at home, Carnival is not something you thought about, it just is. So it's a season, it's like go to the mass camp or you know back in the day growing up you'd get a list and it'd say you need to go by miss so and so and get three yards of this silver fabric and you go to this shop to get this shoe and you'd make your own costume but now obviously it's developed and people make costumes for you but the spirituality behind carnival is something that's very important to me and i feel it would be so wonderful if we all collectively had this understanding of of its spiritual practice in terms of how it started is that you have to go back that during slavery, so they had all these different slave codes. So, for example, in Tobago, a slave owner would be charged in today's money £10,000 if they allowed their enslaved to drum. So the drums were banned, conch shells were banned. If you look in the Codois, those instruments were banned, group gatherings were banned. Within every slave society, there's different codes and laws, and for the most part, that they banned the drumming, the singing, and so on, because it felt like it was going to incite riot and rebellion, which in the most part, when you look at a lot of the rebellions, definitely drumming, dancing, oaths, singing, songs, was very much incorporated as what that used to kind of incite the spirit in, in the people. So obviously it's very scary for the Europeans. Even I love reading old passages from very racist writers when they say, the heathenish, or they were participating in this heathenish dance, surrounded the fire, beating upon their demonic drums. And in my mind, I'm like, yo, this was some lit thing going there. Well, you know, they, they were participating in this. Oh, just the way they speak about it, I love it because I cannot decipher in between their language and I know that it's something that was amazing that was happening. So just imagine that you cannot sing, dance, make music and so on, right? So how Carnival normally starts is obviously with Jouvet. And Jouvet happens the Sunday because Carnival is normally Monday and Tuesday, which is surrounding the Lenten calendar before Ash Wednesday, where you go into the 40 days and 40 nights of abstinence of whatever for your choice. Most people talk about that Carnival started in Trinidad. But there are other historians who are saying they have evidence of Carnival practices happening in the Dominican Republic in the 1600s, which is something I want to explore as well. I think if you congregate persons of African heritage together to celebrate, there is going to be some kind of version of Carnival in some way in terms of their masquerade. Because when you look at, you know, especially within like West African masquerade and their spirituality, that is basically kind of what carnival is. So I wouldn't dispute that claim about the Dominican Republic having something of, of similar in the 1600s. So we can start off with Trinidad Carnival. So in Trinidad, one of the things that used to happen was that when the fires used to start, sometimes they'd have like um, field fires of the sugar cane and the enslaved used to have to wake up in the middle of the night and going out the fires and so that, and that kind of thing like that. Some of them intentionally used to walk kind of slow and be like, mm, just to let it burn, you know? <laughs> but when emancipation happened, what the enslaved did is like in the middle of the night, they went down to the fields in commemoration of the fact that they had to be slaving over this thing and then they covered themselves in molasses. They lit torches 
And then they gathered in procession because now it is speaking about the freedom of movement that they did not have before. They could leave the plantation and do their thing. So this is how Juve started. So it's kind of the covering of yourself and Juve means daybreak, right? So it's opening, it's like a rebirth. So within Juve, you are curving yourself. So obviously it's evolved to paint, powder, chocolate, oil, all these things. So it's a celebration of freedom. And then you're moving into a new stage of your life. It's a cleansing, it's a rebirth. And the next day you clean yourself off and then you put on your masquerade and stuff. Trinidad, they had riots because it was too offensive to the upper-class gentry of Trinidad. So, you know, they was like, this is heathenish, you need to stop it. So they had what they call the Kanbule riots. Kanbule means burnt king. The formerly enslaved were rioting against this ban and so on. And um, that's kind of the principle of how carnival started. When the Europeans had their masquerade balls pre-Lent, the enslaved Africans would, you know, observe this and then also mimic them and then incorporate their own African masquerade. So this is how the whole costume making and so on kind of added into it. Carnival is very political. Carnival is a social journalism. It is ridicule of your oppressors intended to offend them. One of the terms within the Caribbean you'll hear in a lot of soca music is the term jamet. And jamet is like a Creole term, which comes from the French word diameter or diamat, right? So it's jamet, it's evolved into jamet. And it means that you are below the diameter of respectability in society, right? But now in jamet, you are jamet, you're whining, you're enjoying yourself, you this, you that, right? So it's developed into a positive thing, but it also means if you're sexually promiscuous and so on. But it was so that within Trinidad, they have a whole jamet movement where where in which they were dancing intentionally to offend the former slave owners and so on. So within Carnival, it's a mixture of spirituality. It's moving into, it's a celebration of freedom. And it's also not just freedom of movement. This is why movement is really important. The procession is representational of freedom of movement that you did not have before. But the freedom to ridicule your oppressors. I think that's like one of the funniest things because you're saying I'm a heathen, well, I'm going to show you, you know? So I love that. That's amazing. And when I've been to Carnival, I started going in the 80s the early 80s, I had to do my own research, like only in the last few years about Jouvet, because I'd see the paint rituals and I didn't know what it was. And also I'd see the body adornment in black paint and helmets with the horns. So that mm. have very specific meanings that you've just um, explained. But I also read that it evolved from French colonialism in the Caribbean. Yeah, it's, I mean, they're all linked. So in terms of like the black paint, the most popular place you find that is in Grenada where they call it Jab Jab. So Jab means devil. So Jab Jab is double emphasis of devil, okay? So in Trinidad, they have Jab Molassi, which is the molasses devil. And we have various versions of this in the Caribbean. So the devil always plays like a, a large character. So with the horns, in particular in Grenada, it's two things. So the horns is to represent the Jab Jab is the spirit of an enslaved person that fell into a vat of molasses. So they've come back to haunt their enslavers. 
right? Then also the black oil is a homage. So sometimes you see them with chains and shackles and locks and stuff, right? That is a homage to, you know, their ancestors who were enslaved. And then the black oil is to make your skin more black. You see I'm black, I'm going to show you black. And I am black. So that's what the oil is for. So it's, that's where those things are, are linked. Thank you. Because can you imagine how many people go to carnival don't understand the meanings behind yeah. these things and it just enriches the experience so much by understanding what you're a part of and contributing to our carnival in Notting Hill it started after the Notting Hill uh, riots in 1959 by Claudia Jones there was another lady and now her name has passed me by I can't remember but there's two people I just wondered if you knew a little bit about what was happening socially and politically at that time that led her to take this step to bring carnival here to London yeah I mean the thing is once when you look at the history of, of carnival and that it's like revolutionary action it's always like even steel pan which is something everyone we love but it's just kind of developed into something cheesy but the fact is steel pan developed because the drum was banned so they had laws that you could not use goat skin, you couldn't use this or whatever to make drums. So the, the steel pan is an improvisation. You say, you can't, we can't use skin drum? Okay, well, we could use oil drums then. So what are you saying? So everything in Carnival is revolutionary action. So obviously, like, tensions were high in the UK, especially with, like, you know, the influx of, like, the Windrush generation. I saw, like, a film done by British Pathé, which is called The Jamaican Problem, where it was like, oh, we know that, you know, you are uncomfortable with these Jamaicans coming here, but they're not a problem. They're actually really nice. And they're trying to convince the British public not to be racist. So it was the same kind of racial oppression. It was the same marginalization. It was the same. And I think it is inherent in our culture. This is how we communicate. This is how we protest. Carnival is a protest. That's how Caribbean people do. This is our march, literally. This is how we march. And that's what they did. And they did so many things because I remember there was a story with Claudia where in which, you know, the police came and said, listen, if you come out, it's going to be a huge problem. And they still did. There was fights, you know, blood was drawn. There's all kinds of things going, but they still went ahead with it. And I think it's a really beautiful thing for people to contextualize this, especially when we're going on the road for carnival. Listen, you will find me in my costume, my leg up, I cock up, I widen, I do all the things, but I still recognize what it is that we are doing. And I think, as you said, it, it enriches the experience. So what happened in the UK is just a UK version of what happened in the Caribbean, all over the place, you know, in every single island. And I think even when we're talking about things like Jab and like our colonial teachings, when you think about some people say, oh, it's demonic and it's the devil and this and this. But when you know the context of it, it's like, oh, you are the spirit of someone who was wronged, who has come back to haunt the person who has wronged you. So it is not demonic. But I think it's such a beautiful way that how we incorporate protests and like our inherent spirituality into one. It's a beautiful thing. In London, the Notting Hill Carnival, I've seen it evolve. Like, my formative experience was in the 80s when I started going. And that was quite a troubled time. I remember being, you know, a kid in my early teens. 
going and enjoying everything, but also aware there was tensions. And if I was young, you know, I can't be walking off on my own. It was it was a particular time in carnival history. I just find it really interesting that the decades of carnival, as it's moved on from the 60s and 70s and through to the 80s and through to now, there've been different periods. And I just wondered if you have a feeling of how it has evolved and changed through the decades to where we are now. Notting Hill Carnival is a very unique carnival in itself. There's no carnival in the world like it because it's an intermix of everything from like Brazil to Jamaica because Jamaica only just started doing its own carnival a couple of years now. You know, they obviously they have the sound systems and stuff like that, but they did not have a carnival. They would have other things that are more similar to carnival like Junkanoo which is a smaller festival, which I think deserves so much more love, which happens in Christmas time, where they do the costuming and the drumming and the walking around and going to different villages and so on. But Jamaica does not have carnival. But you see Jamaican culture has shaped so much of Notting Hill. Then you see there's the Brazilians and you'd see so many sound systems and stuff like that that have nothing to do with the Caribbean or Africa or anything at all. So Notting Hill in itself is extremely unique. The thing is, is that it's growing, it's growing and growing, but I feel like a lot of the foundation of what carnival is, is shrinking as it grows. I feel it's getting stifled by big money brands, big media corporations who are basically profiteering off of what people just call, they say, oh, it's the largest street party. Yes, it's the largest street party, but most people don't have the context at all. So even like when I was growing up in St. Lucia, I didn't even know that carnival was a celebration of like emancipation from slavery and all of this progression and so on. No, but you know, having my involvement in carnival, the making of the costumes, the very long hours, you know, it's a lot of massive part of carnival is actually really arduous. And I think most people who work within the carnival community spend sleepless nights I remember not last year year before I was in tears I was crying I was like 36 hours no sleep making costumes and stuff like that and all of this process to me is still a spiritual process it's such a labor of love it's not just putting on like your string vest and turning up with your boss and red nephew on the day and I think that really kind of depreciates the value of what it is and I think that all of these big companies who are signed to you know, invest in carnival and profit quite a lot off of it and you know around the parties and the events surrounding it and it provides zero context i think that's really detrimental to the value so as much as it's growing it's devaluing so much and i feel a lot of the people who have been the foundation of it are starting to get more and more silence and be starting to feel irrelevant in popular culture because it's not I don't know, it's just people just don't see it as cool because they don't have the context. And that's really interesting, talking about some of the people who have been involved from the beginning in the Notting Hill Carnival and some key names and some key people. I just wondered if you can mention some of them, some of those who have a place in your heart who have been involved in Notting Hill Carnival from the beginning and what their contribution has been. Oh, gosh, don't get me emotional because one of them passed away very recently. His name is um, Lincoln. So Lincoln, 
he was a wirebender. His workshop was just around the corner from my house in Walthamstow. Lincoln was such a gentle human being and you know, he was one of the most renowned wirebenders. At the age of 16, I was competing against the best in the world. And I carried on until I was 25 and came to England. So wirebending, for those who may not be familiar, is basically within every carnival costume from like the wire bra to your backpacks to the very large king and queen of the bands and very, very big costumes. You need to have wirebenders to do that from your crowns, your headpieces, everything that foundation is a wirebender. So every carnival costume from the design process, but it begins from you having an expert wirebender. I did a short interview with him and he was in carnival since he was the age of two in Trinidad and he moved here in the 70s and then he continued doing the wire bending all across Europe for bands in Trinidad across the Caribbean for most of the bands here in the UK not just for Notting Hill but for Leeds Carnival for Bullion Carnival as well. Carnival is for everyone no matter what color, race, creed, etc. Just before Covid hit my niece who was living with me but she's gone back starting an apprenticeship with him. He did it just so lovingly and giving. And when you speak to the people who started all of these things or who are continuing these legacies, if you sit and have a conversation with them, they will give so much and so openly because they really want people to continue this. They know that they're not gonna be around forever. It's important that um, we teach uh, the knowledge of carnival arts to young people young designers. In particular, this year, there has been a lot of young designers coming through, and that's a great asset for us. It's not just the magic that they create, but it's their willingness to give, to share, to teach, and to continue. That's like the most beautiful thing to me. So Lincoln is, but unfortunately, um, Corona affected him, and you know he went. I feel so sad because he was around the corner and I even took him for granted. Even me who say I love carnival so much, I'm like, oh yes, Lincoln, I'll come and see you. I'll come and pass by your workshop and I didn't. And then, you know, boom, this thing happened. And honestly, I think one of the things you always think they're going to be around forever because they have been around forever. You think they're going to still be there. I feel like we've suffered a great loss through losing Lincoln because wirebending is a dying art. There are only very few wirebenders in the world. You know, we have to pay attention to these people because Lincoln, you will see him. He will be their carnival just on the sidelines, the, the most humble, the most humble. And that's one of the things. So carnival has so much bravado and, you know, everything. And it's all about showmanship. But the people who create it, when you meet them, they're actually like very shy. A lot of them are very humble and just have that willingness to share. So, you know, when you go to the, the carnival community and meet some of these elders, People like that are just really important to hold dear to yourself. I love to do carnival. I love to pass on my knowledge and teach um, the younger generation how to do things properly, not just using a glue gun and sticking feathers. It's not all about a, a bikini and beads. It's actually creating stuff that means something, you know? Um, a theme, follow the theme, research it you know, and then build it.
you captured Lincoln's spirit and his work really beautifully in a film that you made. I urge everybody to watch it as well. It's on the Notting Hill Carnival Instagram. I don't know if it's on their website too. It was absolutely beautiful and you filmed him working in his workshop. So you did capture that for everyone. I'll link that in so people can watch that and to see his wonderful work. Thank you for sharing that information about him because we do need to know about this and share it on with others. The carnival today is as important to British culture as as it's ever been. It faces some issues, and like you say, for you, it's getting very big. You know, the gentrification of the area of Notting Hill, the focus on different aspects that are away from the original meaning and the spirituality of carnival. Music is obviously really important to the whole carnival itself. And I just wondered if you've seen the influence of carnival on music culture in Britain. So how the carnival event and history has affected British music. When you look at like Calypso music, it's filled with a lot of bravado, a lot of political and social commentary. And I think even if kids, especially who are like second and third generation Caribbean people, maybe even if they don't even know most of the Calypso and stuff like that, but growing up and just seeing their parents or just how they would respond to the music or just maybe picking up some of the lyrics, I think this is how you can see like even when you look at especially with grime music grime music is a lot of social commentary a lot of political commentary and um that has a lot of influence maybe as much as you know american rap music i think you find within calypso music it's straight social and political commentary and i think also adding to that the bravado and then when you look at within the reggae sound systems it is that kind of showmanship as well. You, you are battling people and all of this is develops into what we see in, into the UK music scene now. Absolutely. I have a friend of mine. I'm not a fan of Garage. She loves Garage. And she's like, it's like soca music. Come on, can't you tell? The tempo is like the same. I'm like, no, but yeah. Like I hear a couple of songs that kind of like, yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm. But <laughs> she insists. She insists, so like on a, a base level, there's that. But absolutely, I think the spirit of carnival is there in terms of, you know, sharing our stories, in terms of the showmanship, the bravado, the battling, the competitiveness. Absolutely, absolutely. This year, carnival is still happening as a virtual event. I just wondered if you could tell me how in the virtual events that are happening, how you'll be celebrating the roots of Carnival um, online with everybody this year. The whole concept of virtual Carnival is very difficult for all of us. Okay, let's be real. Okay, (laughs) but I love the initiative. I love that we're not going to let it die, even though we cannot physically be on the road. And I think it's a great opportunity for people because we have no choice but to, you know, be indoors or to to remain still over that weekend and we're more open to listening and it's a perfect time to bring into the context. So I'm working with Notting Hill Carnival, assisting the platform in bringing to light historical, cultural and spiritual context to Carnival because it's not going to take away from your experience. It's just going to add to your experience next year. I think it's going to make people love and appreciate it even more. Like even, you know, people always say, oh, I'm going to go down and have some jerk chicken and thing. And it's like, even like jerk chicken is something that is both from revolution as well. The Maroons who went into the mountains of Jamaica after they liberated themselves from slavery, they met up with the Caribs or the Tainos in Jamaica 
and their cultures merge together and this is how they develop jerk as a means to preserve and season meat in the bush so all of that you know you're gonna jerk is gonna look different to you when you know these things we're all getting used to the zoom parties and so on and people kind of really put together but i know that notting hill carnival the community is really pushing to put together something to help bring back like the culture carnival is surrounded by so much consumerism and that is very hurtful for me and i just think it would be wonderful if we could bring back the culture into it and let's focus on consumerism yeah yeah and unfortunately we're in this time where we have to stay at home but also staying at home actually the benefit of that may be that we can actually focus so actually this is a perfect time for us to connect with that i'm going to finish off with a question from my previous guest from my last show and the last guest always poses a question for the next guest but they don't know who my next guest is so my last guest was sylvia arthur from the library of africa and the african diaspora in ghana she asks what role could or books play in this potential revolutionary moment oh that's an amazing question. Um, it plays an instrumental role, an instrumental role. I think books can transform people, books teleport people, books are life-changing. And you know, the thing is, is that I'm not, um, I don't read many um, fictions. I love reading um, about my history and, and learning about myself. That's like my obsession. And the ways it's transformed me, but also to know that in a good way, what we're going through is not new. And the reason why I say that is because to know that they have people who have experienced this before you, through reading their books, through going through their experiences, you don't feel alone anymore, and you don't feel like you're crazy, you don't feel like your feelings aren't warranted, and you don't feel like the revolution that you foresee in your life is not something that other people haven't seen before. So I just, it gives me an anchor, it gives me a root, and it gives me hope as well. Even when you read about maybe even tragic incidences, but it's just about knowing that, you know, someone that I never knew felt and, and believed in the same thing that I do right now today. So therefore, I'm not alone. I don't feel isolated anymore. So I think it plays an instrumental role in giving us an anchor in our beliefs. That's a beautiful answer, thank you. And we're not alone when we have amazing people like you who are also rooting us with this information. I don't know what we'd do without you, actually, Fiona. Stop starting, darling. No, honestly. Oh, thank you. A lot of people's uh, focus is on African history, and I wouldn't have learned what I would have learned about Caribbean history, but the connection to Africa there as well, if it wasn't for you. If it wasn't for your page and the way that you present it, the guests that you uh, have Instagram lives with and you bring important and interesting people in. And it's just opened up my world as well. So as much as I'm sure it has everybody else. So I want to thank, thank you. you so much. And for this thank time you. today, I'm just really thankful that you gave this time to share your knowledge. Like it's, it's priceless. I truly appreciate it. And thank you for giving me like your perspective on the page because it's hard to gauge. It does get a lot of support. But I think, you know, one of the things is that because like I got a message from a Harvard professor the other day. He's like, I love your work. It's so important because you're bringing your work to the masses. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, like a Harvard professor, right? But it's like, there is a certain kind of 
elitist attitude around academia and and I think it's not that people don't care and I, through doing Know Your Caribbean I've learned it's not that people don't care about our history it's just that not everyone relates to things in the same way not everyone likes to read a book not everyone likes to listen to a lecture there are many ways that we can diversify how we educate and I love like juxtaposing like a piece of dance hall with like some literature from the 17th century like I love that because I love linking all of these things and I think like our history and culture is so beautiful and that's why I'm exactly focusing on Strictly Caribbean and I'm so thankful that it resonates with people and that people can relate to it. Hey!